Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast. I'm Joshua Jackson, and as regular listeners will know, we like to speak to business leaders up and down the country, talking about the politics of the day, talking about the issues of the day, but then also looking and taking a little bit more of a deep dive into the organizations, the people that run them, and the people that get up each day and make this country work. And today I'm here with Ben Barnard from Mossy Rock. Ben? Thanks for taking some time and uh, and welcome onto the show. No, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Perfect. And you know, if you wouldn't mind, uh, would you be able to take a few moments and just let everybody know who you are, what it is that you do, and and why? Uh, yeah. So we are Mossy Rock. Um, we are an organic gardening and landscaping uh, company. We've been we're in our eighth year now, um, and we're based in North Yorkshire. Uh, our bread and butter is garden maintenance. Um, which we offer quite a unique package for. Uh, we also cater for uh, domestic and commercial landscaping. That's all the way up to solar farms, uh, down to your bread and butter private homes. Um, and we try and do everything as organically as humanly possible via a range of products and techniques that we use to, um, to benefit the environment. Fantastic. And, um, you know, what is it about your organization? Why was it that you went down the full organic route, the environmental beneficial elements, looking at sustainability, everything like that? Why is that such a, you know, a, a key point for you? Well, I grew up in the, grew up in the countryside. I grew up on a farm and I've always been interested in farming and forestry and agriculture. Uh, I've worked outside on Corporate, in corporate entertainment, the corporate entertainment industry, um, high rope courses uh, on uh, on farms in forestry, and I've done lots of building and joinery. And in that, I've had a, a deep appreciation for the environment and really care for it. I've also got a range of skills through the building and the joinery uh, and such, where gardening and landscaping incorporated everything. So I could I could work in the environment. I could benefit, uh, try and uh, improve the environment that I worked in, as well as employ all of the skills that I've learned through working in several different industries and, and run my own company. So, uh, yeah, best of a lot of worlds, really. <laughs> so really just being able to bring everything that you enjoy together. And I suppose that's that's what makes it, you know, you so passionate about it. And obviously, you know, Mossy Rock being such a, a well-regarded company, especially with some of the, you know, as you say, some of the people that you've worked with, then, you know, your larger projects all the way through to the smaller ones. And, you know, I'm just going to jump in for a small second here and let everybody know, you know, those that don't know me personally um, probably don't know that I'm also a keen gardener, um, but I do have a master's degree in contemporary global security. So whilst you are looking at things from sometimes from the micro scale, you know, and then looking at how that's happening, you know, what, what that's doing across the nation, I've got a, a pretty good background in how, you know, the politics of the world sort of, you know, influences those elements as well and what you know sort of the larger corporations and the the politicians of the world are doing so i think this is going to be a really nice discussion and you're going to be able to teach me an awful lot and hopefully the listeners as well and obviously one of the things you wanted to come on today and talk about was obviously the sort of sustainable elements some of your top tips as we get into the new year and people want to look potentially look at their their gardens their spaces and you know how that they can you know improve the space around them yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we, we employ a lot of techniques which are, uh, actually cut down the, the time and the labour. In, in, I mean, gardening is an incredibly intensive activity um, from you know, manual work-wise. 
And um, we have a lot of techniques which cut down on that intensity, which um, things like weeding, we don't, we don't deep dig any of our borders unless we absolutely have to. Um, so we will only chip over. Uh, so yeah, one first if is turn your spade, get a little border spade, turn it the, the wrong way round, and then just uh, with a flick of the wrist, you can chip over the top inch or inch and a half of soil. Um, and it it, it it does wonders. You're not disturbing the soil structure in the soil. You can turn over a border as in just a top inch or so uh, incredibly quickly, mm. keeping it weird. And that just makes weeding uh, a dream. You can, you know, the top inch is very loose, so you can pick out any weeds that are there. Um, and suddenly weeding is not very laborious anymore. So that's uh, definitely one top tip. Um, we love to keep the soil structure in place just because pl- uh, plants grow much better in actually tougher soils, um, which is, you know, it's, it, I mean, ben- it benefits the plants. It makes them grow stronger. If a plant's growing strong and healthy, it's uh, more resistant to aphid attacks and is generally just more resilient to, um, uh, to pests and diseases on, uh, on the whole. So, yeah, we, we try and look after the environment in as natural a way as possible and not disturb it too yeah, too vigorously. Um, but then it goes down to the, the products that we use. We uh, All of our lawn care products are made using solar energy and they're all a granular slow-release feed. So lots of the lawn care companies that you see out, out and about use quite um, chemical-driven products. that uh, They're almost like steroids steroids for grass. So they pump a you know, huge amount of nutrients in and yeah. encourage immensely rapid growth, um, which, yeah, the lawn looks fantastically green for a very short amount of time. But ultimately, it's stressed out, it's, um, it's overfed, and it needs that constant feeding and craves it, whereas our, uh, our products are very slow-release and last a lot longer and provide a much healthier, um, a much healthier environment in the soil, as well as a much much healthier plant in the whole. So we've always got the long term vision in in our sites, uh, and the environment comes first, rather than yeah, rather than aesthetics of an absolutely amazing green lawn instantly. Um, we prefer to work on work on it and improve the environment as we go. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of techniques and a lot of products that we use, which. Um, yeah, focus on the environment and not the immediate outcome. So it's important to have the right mindset when going into these things, that it's about, you know, looking after your particular area and making sure that you're, you know, working with the local elements of biodiversity and, you know, taking, being respectful for the things that are around it rather than thinking, you know what, my area needs to look way better, much quicker than anybody else's. Is that the the sort of thing you're going for here? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, yeah, we get it. Yeah, we have it a lot. Uh, well, we get a lot of inquiries for low maintenance gardens, which is always um, uh, always quite a funny request because I don't think a low or an, I don't think a no maintenance um, garden is is doable. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not one that's kind of environmentally focused. Which I think people that want a garden installed or designed, um, they do care about the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of careful thought has to go into um, uh, into what you know, what plants you. Have what plants you're going to plant and where and if you need something low maintenance you there's a huge amount of um, care that's put into that but it's very important with any anything that you're designing or creating um, or looking after is exactly that that long-term vision of um, trying to have as much biodiversity as possible trying to encourage pollinators to get in the garden trying to um, you know, play with heights and sizes of you know, shrubs and plants and uh, yeah, it's a huge challenge, but um, you've got to be patient as well. Um, 
So a lot of our gardens that we maintain would, I would say, if you take them on from, uh, if you take them on from the start where they need say, a big clearance uh, in order to get the garden back to square one, it'll take two seasons at least to actually bring the garden into into its natural cycle. So um, yeah, so nothing's instant, and uh, it, it takes a huge amount of management and a huge amount of patience as well. Well, one of the sort of major buzzwords that I've been hearing, especially over the last few years, various um, um, you know sort of campaigns have been going around the no mow maze, etc., is all about rewilding. Is and obviously you just said that sometimes these there's no such thing as low maintenance. So is that sort of going against the the rewilding atmosphere, or is there still work that needs to be done to make sure that rewilding is a thing? Um, I think I think a lot of work needs to be done. Uh, again, I think. The if you're going to, uh, I'm not sure I entirely agree with the no mo may. Um, I think it, it, it's a great, it's a great. Um, I suppose it's a great advocate for rewilding and it, it raises awareness. But I think if you create a habitat for uh, for animals to move into uh, and enjoy and call their home, but if you're only uh, that's amazing. But if you're only going to do it for a month before you you cut it down, um, it. It's a little bit detrimental to yeah, to, to those animals. They then have to rehome and, and move on. Yeah, I think it's much more beneficial to actually keep somewhere that's wild in the corner of your garden uh, year round and actually maintain it year round um, and have a vision for the garden where that's incorporated into it. Uh, whether you've got your piles of sticks for insects to uh, to hang out in little beetle banks, um, whether you leave some of your lawn uh, wild, whether you plant little wildflower areas on you know, in the margins of your garden, mm. all those things which are permanently there, which means that uh, insects, uh, mammals, um, pollinators, always, you know, they, they know that that's a place they can go and be safe and they can um, actually, <laughs> I mean, yeah, build a life, build a life in and around. Yep. That I think that's far more beneficial than, say, not mowing your lawn just for one month. Um, I mean, it raises great awareness, but I think there needs to be, again, a long, a far, yeah, much longer term vision um encouraged into into gardens and then just to keep it um you know very sort of individual focused for the moment what would be your you know your best and most your easiest way to have that real wild element would it be to separate a small spot for wildflowers or would it be to go out and get one of these uh, you know sort of bee bricks and and things like that have a little um uh you know insect hotel which one is is your go to or is it actually why not do all of them well, I think um, I think something that suits every garden is exactly like, like insect hotels or or just a pile of sticks in the corner is is fantastic, and you don't need to have you don't need to have borders or uh, trees or um, uh, you know or big shrubs anywhere. You could have a, a gravel garden, a patio garden, but if you have got bird feeders and bird baths and these insect hotels and and something for you know, for the birds and the bees to enjoy, that's a great start. Um, move, moving on from that, I just think little areas which are left wild um, are fantastic. That's kind of the next the next step. So you know, just don't mow a patch of grass in the corner of your garden, or um, or just leave something that's a little bit secluded and tucked away uh, that animals can enjoy, and just leave that to do its natural thing. And then I think above that would be uh, look at look at how your uh, plants and shrubs behave seasonally. So. Uh, holly, you know, just be careful of cutting your holly when it comes to winter. Leave the berries on the birds love all the berries. So, in don't cut your shrubs too early in winter. And then that's the kind of top fear is observing exactly what's happening seasonally uh, in your garden and how each season is benefiting the uh, the wildlife 
um, the wildlife and then tailoring each part of your garden to you know, to be a seasonal garden, essentially. So, yeah, you can do everything from yeah, little wooden a little wooden insect hotel all the way uh, all the way up to a fully planned and managed seasonal garden great um i think that's uh, you know a couple of things that are going to be really easy for people to uh, to go out and to do a bit of research on and obviously to, to have a look at and that'll help just to to sort out you know their particular patch but i know across your blog posts across uh, you know previous interviews that you've done and um uh you know news articles and things that be going out there i know it's a little bit of a, a passion project as well is to look at um you know obviously the the sustainable mindset as well not just for an individual but also sort of let's say more more wider across the nation when it comes to sort of uh, you know getting local food and you know the agricultural elements is that something you want to you want to talk about for a little bit yeah, I mean, well, growing up, growing up in, um, uh, growing up in the, um, growing up in a rural environment and growing up on farms and working in estates and working in forestry, it's always been a passion, a passion of mine. Uh, I've seen a huge shift in certainly my generation. My mates have taken on, yeah, taken on farms and are now managing them themselves. Uh, are a lot more environmentally focused than the previous generation. Uh, I mean, they still work. A lot of them are still working with, uh, you know, with their with their parents and running their farms and the estates. Um, but they, their shift is more in um, producing different kind of grazing patterns, for example, with livestock, mm. introducing different mixes into the, into the grazing field. So they're no, longer, um, they're no longer using lots of chemicals and spraying off every weed that they can see. Mm. They're incorporating uh, things like red clover, which you know, fits nitrogen and um, bring some life back into the soil. Uh, the grazing patterns they used to be in lots of little small mobs of sheep, they're now being encouraged to you know, band uh, into big mobs of sheep and have uh, very limited grazing in each field, letting letting the grass recover a lot quicker rather than constant grazing patterns. So the whole, um, uh, yeah, the, the whole of the whole of that industry really interests me, um, and I think as well local local sustainability in terms of the amount of farm shops that are popping up and when they sell their meat, they can pinpoint exactly which farm their the meat is coming from. It's not lamb that's been imported all the way from New Zealand, and um, you know it's, it's come from two fields away. I think that's a, that's a fantastic product. It's fresh. Um, it's it's very selective into into what you're taking. Uh, it's supporting the local community. Uh, I just I just don't think you can get any better than that, really. Um, and I'm a massive advocate for that. And I think a lot of industries. Uh, certainly, kind of pocket niche and artisan industries have disappeared from the from the UK, um, and are now outsourced and imported. And I'd love to see that return um, with with a lot of products. You know, whether it's a farm shop, whether it's um, you know making wool clothing, whether better quality clothing comes back. Um, you know, lots of lots of stuff like that really, really interests me. Um, and hopefully. Uh, this generation coming forward is a lot more environmentally focused and um, uh, and would push that message forward. Of course, and you know, but it's always one of those things, isn't it? There's uh, when you have these discussions of you know shop local or you know looking to uh, have seasonal foods or, and everything like that. That it comes a lot of it down to price, and that's something that it's can be quite hard to get an entire nation away from just thinking about the pennies in the pocket, especially with everything that's going on now. And obviously, having your own you know garden, growing your own vegetables, having your own uh, even. Um, you know, herbs and things like that throughout the summer and the spring, you know, it gives teaches you that little bit of a difference, doesn't it? In the fact that things 
are seasonal and that you know this needs does need to be an awful lot of work going on do you think there's enough being done from a national level to sort of educate people around that and to you know get people away from just thinking that you know strawberries can be bought every day um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of education. There's enough education around, um, and I think, I think people are very well informed that, um, or you'd like to think people are well informed that strawberries aren't available year round naturally. Um, and if you do look on the packet, you'll see that you know they've travelled a long way to be there. Certainly during, you know, during the month, well now during winter. Um, but I think, I think we're just too comfortable in in the environment that we're in now we're you know, we're used to having everything on tap we, we've grown up you know, whatever food you want you can get within uh, usually within the hour um and i think we're just too comfortable and i think um uh i don't know if a little bit of uncomfort is quite healthy um and in that respect local produce would become if that became the case and local produce would become more viable because it's, it's easier and quicker to get um but I don't think we're very good in this country at um, uh, a lot of things in Europe, for example, when they preserve food or pickle food or um, you, you, they have like sauerkraut and you know, all those mm. kind of pickling solutions. I don't think we we have a lot of that in the UK. And I think that is not only really healthy, but it's a great winter food source. Mm. That um, Yeah, that's the point. It, they preserve, they're preserving vegetables that you can't grow in winter. They're preserving them through winter to consume in winter. It's immensely healthy. So I don't think we have that, and I think we're just too comfortable with what we are provided. Um, so I don't really know what the answer is, because I think the education is, is all there, but I think a bit of discomfort would, would go a long way in you know, making people reevaluate how they, how they store their, you know, their summer produce or their autumn produce, uh, and then how they consume it as well. So maybe it's too easy to buy peppers and strawberries in winter, then I don't think we're going to change really. No, that's uh, you know a good point as well, isn't it? It's the fact that people do need to you know go out there and, and make that conscious choice to change their current habits so that they are you know looking after um, you know sort of the food security uh, across the world, and you know obviously food security itself and food insecurity is an ongoing issue, especially when we take into consideration you know climate change and some of the uh, um, some of the worldwide events that are going on at the moment as well you know you can really take a look at the movements of governments around the world to uh you know secure food supplies whether it's it's grain whether it's today's conversation where actually uk ministers are signing a memorandum of understanding with senegal for for food security you know there's things that are going on every day as long as you you can find them and and potentially it is going back local and um you know you're you're right embracing sometimes the fact that you aren't going to be able to to get what you want at a given moment uh, and that you might then look forward to it again you know when the, when the spring comes back around and the summer comes back around you know it's then a, it's then a treat isn't it it's uh, uh, you know just a, a bit of well, that exactly. yeah. bit of that mindset change um now obviously you know there's been a few things as well over the last few years which have majorly changed they will majorly change for uh you know the agricultural uh you know, industry across the United, Ke- the United Kingdom, not least uh, Brexit, you know, the taking away then of e- some EU regulations, the divergence, let's say, between EU and, and UK regulations going forward. So is that something you want to you comment on as well? I know you had a few things when we had a, our call before this that you, you might want to bring up on, on this issue. Yeah, I think, 
I think it's a worrying time for for everyone when well I mean any instability and and, uh, and insecurity is, um, is is worrying but I think uh, I think the long term I think the long term vision of a situation like this is um, yeah I mean well I don't I don't know how it's going to pan out but for me my personal view is the long term vision is far more uh, attractive than the scenario that we were in before. Uh, for agriculture, for example, taking all the the, the subsidies was um, you know, a fantastic bonus. But at the end of the day, farms were not operating as businesses should. They weren't sustainable. They weren't um, uh, they weren't funding themselves. They weren't a profitable venture within themselves. They were relying on subsidies from the EU, which um, at the end of the day, from an agricultural or a business point of view, uh, that's just not sustainable. Uh, nor is it a healthy practice. So uh, I know a lot of people in my local community uh, have welcomed the hardship, and, and don't get me wrong, it is a, it's a massive hardship um, in trying to absorb the changes, but adapt to them and make make their farms and make their produce um, a lot more entrepreneurial and, uh, and make it pay for itself. Mm. Um, I think the benefits to that are that we are going to see a lot more entrepre- uh, entrepreneurialism uh, in the rural community, which um, which I personally would, as an entrepreneur, would welcome. Um, but also, I think that would that would drive this um, this local produce um, this local produce idea forward, uh, and mean that farmers do have to adapt and change and uh, and push you know their own agenda forward um, and make their farms work. And if that's selling produce locally, that's fantastic. Uh, if uh, if imports are harder to get hold of as well, I think. Again, that's that's a, it's a hardship that we can adapt, and again, that will only that will only benefit the local producers. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, if a country can't support itself on the whole, uh, then it, when a crisis strikes like um, like COVID, and uh, when transport links are all shut down, uh, and the world uh, the world essentially stops, and we panic, if you can't look after yourself, then what kind of a country are we really? We're not. Um, you know, we need to stand up and be able to provide food for ourselves and at least have some sort of a system where we are self-reliant. We're not reliant on the rest of the world importing um, you know, vegetables and the fruit and, uh, and all the meat. Um, so I think on the whole that would be quite healthy uh, and then that, in my view, it should be bolstered by by imports, not reliant on imports. Um, yep. So ho- hopefully there's a uh, certainly, the rural community. I really hope that there is um, there's a long term vision which is beneficial to um, uh, to uh, invigorating uh, what is a, a very archaic and I think what was quite a comfortable uh, environment to be in mm. uh, in the rural environment. Um, no, absolutely. You know, it's it's one of those things as well, isn't it? Just again having that slight mentality change. You know, of just being able to uh, you know focus on looking after you know the nation itself rather than you know that's you know having an uh, an export potentially rather than an import balance. You know, it's it's one of those. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when you are, if there is the possibility to make um, you know agriculture that little bit more entrepreneurial, allow people to set their own um, you know growing schedules and and changes and things like that, that could be really Really interesting for what can go forwards for for the nation as such a productive nation as well. Um, 
I think you've given people an awful lot to think about there, you know, even on just, just having those small mindset changes from when it comes to, to their what they can do instantly for their local, obviously then looking at some of the, the more countrywide things and the international elements as well, you know. So, Ben, I'm sure people are taking a lot from this. But, you know, if we then go back to you particularly, what is coming up next? What is next for you? What's next for Mossy Rock? Where are you going on your own entrepreneurial journey? And what are the next, uh, you know, sort of stages? Is it just, uh, you know, trying to, to get a bit of growth or is it getting involved in, in something new? Um, yes, we're focused on a lot of growth at the moment and uh, we had a fantastic opportunity last year uh, to work on a, a landscape of solar farm and that was uh, just over 200 acres and that was a grazing meadow mix just uh, sown under the panels, wildflower sown outside, you know, the perimeter fences, there were bird bat boxes, uh, nature log piles. Um, uh, hedges, trees, plant, uh, kilometers hedging and um, about 150 trees planted along it. Mm. Uh, we're also in charge of the maintenance of that farm now, which is which is fantastic. Uh, that was a great contract to win, and we've also got several other contracts, uh, several other quotes out there for uh, for similar ventures in around solar farms. So yes, yeah, so we're going down uh, the maintenance and management of um, those renewable energy powerhouses, which is um, uh, which is uh, powerhouses. So. <laughs> not a way to describe it uh, but yeah we're going down the re- renewable energy management and uh, maintenance route at the minute which suits, yeah, suits my brand and company fantastically mm. uh, we're also um, yeah, we look after Ripley Castle which is a fantastic grounds in near Harrogate uh, we look after all of their grounds and gardens and we are, we've had that for two years and we're constantly improving uh, on the grounds there and that's been a great success um, so we're also heading down uh, a more uh, I suppose um, the yeah, more kind of public gardens as well, and looking after them in as, as in an organic way, um, which is a great challenge to manage large scale properties in that manner. Um, but it's a challenge that we've met, and um, uh, and we get huge praise for certainly uh, certainly in at Ripley uh, and in other uh, private gardens as well of um, of equal stature. Mm. Um, so yeah, well that's that's kind of direction that we're heading in at the minute. So there's a bit of um, there's a lot of commercial work going on, and uh, uh, I say our name at the moment is uh, is becoming kind of well known with uh, with maintaining and managing sites efficiently and organically. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite a bright, exciting future. Um, quite hard work coming out of uh, coming out of COVID and with all the other. Uh, instabilities and insecurities in the world but um, but now we're making it head on and seem to be doing okay. No I think that's incredible as well you know bringing together and especially doing the maintenance on those uh, you know solar farms as well you know bringing it's you know bringing power from a a renewable resource but it's actually very sort of technologically heavy so having that rewilding element I don't want to use the term rewilding but you know having that wild element there as well making sure that the space is well developed um, and looked after within the sphere of its uh, you know local area and within that bio biodiversity and making sure that's actually being looked after is going to be so important for the future of energy production and energy security um, in the UK. You know, it's going to make one of those, some of those arguments of, well, these are ugly spaces and, and actually now, no, they won't be. So I think that's a really, really interesting, uh, you know, and, and hopefully 
very um you know sort of fruitful uh sort of business avenue for you if that can you know continue and those things can can get off the ground that'd be that'd be lovely and i'm really excited to see see where you go next so but i just want to say thanks ever so much for obviously for coming on uh for talking to me and for talking to our listeners and going through those steps on just the small you know changes that people can make you know potentially when they look out the window and uh you know put some sticks out there and uh, a little little insect hotel Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. And um, that's been absolute pleasure and very interesting. Thank you. Brilliant. And if anybody wants to find Ben, they can go to, uh, I believe it's mossyrock.co.uk and, uh, you know, find out a little bit more both on the blog and contact details if you have either a small or a, you know, giant project uh, that you need some advice on. Absolutely. That's um, that's right. Perfect. (laughs) So, Ben, thank you ever so much. And, uh, yeah, goodbye. Thank you. Bye.